0: Some sermons flow easy and uh, go right through, and some don't go. And this one doesn't go the way I was looking to. Um, I had written almost all of it and then added two pages to the front. So let's hope that this gives correctly as I go through this. In the course of his dealings with the human race, who Genesis, I, I just love it. Who Genesis calls earthlings, you know, we earthlings. As God deals with us earthlings, God has spoken through dreams and visions and prophets, uh, which are also referred to. Uh, well, uh, the visions that He are are referred to in Scripture as waking dreams. Waking dreams. As far back as Abraham, God used a dream to restate a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, reminding Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Later in Genesis, Jacob received a vision of what we call Jacob's ladder, of a ladder reaching up into heaven on which ascended and descended angels, a promise that, that God a reminder of the promise that God gave to Abraham and that it would carry on in Jacob. Joseph was known not only as a dreamer, but more famously as an interpreter of dreams to the pharaoh of Egypt. Daniel did the same for Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Samuel the prophet had visions throughout his life. And Solomon's fabled wisdom came from an offer from God in a dream. He said, ask what you would wish me to give you. It's probably fair to say that all the prophets received dreams and visions. I mean, what is a prophecy from God but something given in a dream or a vision? In the New Testament, we see that Zacharias, an old man, was told in a vision that he would have an important son in his old age. And of course, he found that amusing. And, uh, but the boy would become John the Baptist. Both Joseph and Mary received visions about their coming son, Jesus. Pontius Pilate's wife had a dream that caused her to send an urgent message to her husband to free Jesus at his trial. Here in Acts, we've already seen people receive three visions. Ananias in Damascus to go to Saul of Tarsus and to restore his sight. And just now in Acts 10, we've had both Cornelius Centurion have a vision to send to Joppa for Peter. And Peter in Joppa had a vision to accompany Cornelius' servants to Caesarea. We'll see later on, well, we might not see later on, it's further down the line, but uh, both Paul and John the Apostle, later on in the New Testament, have visions from God. Later in the New Testament, as we've seen today, John's vision resulted in the entire book of Revelation that we just started today. That's just one of the two coincidences between what Robin has done earlier in the service and what's going to show up in in my sermon today. And I just love the way that that works because, you know, I didn't talk to Robin about where we were going and I didn't look at this and that and the other thing. And, And it's quite amusing how God weaves things together. So the question for today is, does God still speak in dreams and visions in our time today? what does it look like? And then what about the charlatans who say that God has spoken to them in a vision or a dream? People such as Joseph Smith, who started the Mormons. I will call them that instead of the Latter-day Saints. Charles Taze Russell, who started the Jehovah's Witnesses, who I always say have never seen anything. Ellen G. White, Christian scientist, which some wags have said it's neither Christian nor science. Or any of the others. And largely, you know, it was an 1800s movement, but it bled into the early 20th century that people would claim that they had visions from God to restore Christianity or some such thing. So how does God speak to his people today? Have you ever had something happen to you or uh, just done something and you don't know why? (laughs) I mean, that's the story of my life, but I just don't know why I've done some of these things. Um, Does it transpire that further down the road, the reason became apparent just this past Month, for instance, when I was talking to you about this at Bible study, I was thinking about buying new equipment for shop, and i didn't my shop, and i didn 't know why i've been busy getting rid of things uh, when Niels went into the Air Force, I sent him a lot of my equipment, my portable shop equipment, and i 'm closing in i 'm six months from seventy, okay I should be getting rid of stuff and here I am and I mentioned I'm, I'm thinking about buying more shop equipment and I really didn't know why uh, just just last week as I was putting stuff away in my shop I thought I don't have any hide glue now my, many of you might say "Yeah, well either do I right well I don't have any hide glue and so I ordered three pounds of hide glue hide glue and, well hide glue is used for many things it's made in the making of violins. I ordered my hide glue, and I am now a proud, not a member, uh, email friend of International Violin. Now, if you ever thought that I would be friends with International Violin, I would say you were silly. But I also use it, I use it for making doors, uh, interior doors specifically. High glue, by the way, comes as a dry, granular product you mix it with water. Uh, hide glue is water-soluble. That's why it's used in violins. You you steam a violin case to get the top to lift off if you have to make repairs to remove the neck. Um, I only use it on interior doors because I'm afraid of the water exposure. If you've ever seen a sagging exterior door, it's because it's gotten wet and the hide glue is let go. Now you know everything to know about doors. Anyway, I ordered... Three pounds of hide glue, and I got it in my shop Singer. And I, and I do think about these things. I thought, why have I ordered this hide glue? The answer is at the end of the sermon. But something happened like this early in Aaron's and my marriage. We were the sad, getting older, childless couple in. Twin Peaks Church. We were married seven years before our first child came along and well before then something piqued Erin's interest and she started researching it and then she shared the research with me and had me read up on this and and this was all well before we ever had children and that answer is coming at the end of the sermon too. What that was What put it into Aaron's heart to study what she studied? What put it in my heart to start looking at expanding my shop, which doesn't need to be done? See, the thing about visions and dreams and prophecies that God gives you is that it's almost never apparent when he gives you the vision what it's about, okay? It's after the fact when something has happened that you look back and you say, I see what that vision was about. I I now know what's going on. Think about the messianic prophecies that occurred 600 years before Jesus was born. Well, when Jesus was born and then crucified, people look back and say, look at his life fitting into the pattern of the prophecies. It's not that they saw it at the time, but they saw it after it happened, that Jesus' life fit the prophecies. And you'll note to this day that the Jews do not see that In the prophecies, that they do not look at them the same way, probably because they don't look at Jesus at all. That brings us at long last to our um, scripture for today, which is Acts 10 9 through 17. Um, We saw God give a vision to the Apostle Peter. Uh, This is the 9 through uh, 16 is just what we've already studied. But the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up to heaven. Out of nowhere, God has given a vision, permitting Peter to now eat of meat, previously declared ritually unclean. Now, verse 17, just to show you that uh, we have to use future events to determine what visions mean. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, and by pointing this out, I am not by any means saying that uh, Peter is slow on the uptake here. Because visions, you know, from God, like I say, have to be interpreted by time. Actually, Peter knew what the vision he had uh, seen meant. He knew that God was making animals unclean. What he didn't understand was why God was giving him that vision in the first place. Likewise, the day before in Acts 10, 1-6, we see that... your prayers and your alms have ascended as a, mem- uh, as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is built uh, by the sea. So on the one hand, we have Peter who receives a vision from God, which confuses him. And now we have the centurion Cornelius receive a vision from God. And he's terrified at the angel. And he doesn't know why he's sending his men to Joppa, other than the fact that he's supposed to bring a man named Simon, uh, also called Peter, back. God hasn't told him what is going on here. Peter is mystified about what his vision means, and Cornelius has no idea why an angel has appeared to him. Nevertheless, he's a soldier. He's received his marching orders, okay? There's no questioning. Just like he said to Jesus, uh, the other centurion said to Jesus, just order it done and it'll be done. Cornelius is a soldier. The angel says, send. Cornelius, the good soldier, sends his men to Joppa with no further questioning Verses 7-8 through eight says, When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And we'll cover this in uh, more detail next week, but notice that Cornelius, it says, called two of his servants, and also a devout soldier. How many devout soldiers were in the Roman army and that is a question I would seriously like answered because as I pointed out the last time we looked at centurions seven instances in the Bible are about centurions and they're all favorable here we have Cornelius his, his alms have ascended before God as a, uh, to God as a memorial and he has a devout soldier in his household staff how many more are there Cornelius sends his men to Joppa, as the angel directed, to bring Peter back to Caesarea. Meanwhile, skipping up to verse 17, Peter has just had his vision. And it says now, Peter, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gig. Now, they made good time because they had just left the day before. We'll see that Peter doesn't make his good time going back. Uh, but some commenters think that Simon the Tanner may have been a man of some means. Uh, his house seems to be large enough that Peter, up on the uh, housetop in prayer did not see the approach of Cornelius's men. Not only that, but it says the men stood at the gate, verse 18, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. So, the second clue that this was a large house is that Cornelius' men were stopped by the gate and had to call out to the house. Verse 19 is the third clue. And while Peter was pondering the vision, this Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. So not only are the men at the gate calling out to the house if Simon Peter is there, but Simon doesn't hear them, and it's the Holy Spirit who says, Three guys down there looking for you, so let's get on down there. The Spirit further instructs Peter in verse 20, Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now, the actual word here in Greek says to accompany them without discriminating. Okay, the root word is in Greek discriminators, you know, uh, but it is go with them without discriminating. Remember, of course, the Jews thought of Gentiles as lesser people because of their not adhering to the Jewish dietary laws. Jews did discriminate against Gentiles. They would not enter the house of a Gentile. They certainly would not eat with a Gentile, and they would not have them into their own house under any circumstances and never eat with them because they might become ceremoniously unclean by accident. Remember, the dietary laws were not just dietary laws, but now there were dish laws, serving utensil laws. You couldn't use a serving utensil that had done one thing to do another. There was no way that even the best-intentioned Gentile could keep those laws. An awful lot of good-intentioned Jews can't keep those laws. So a Gentile was certainly not going to do it. So, yes, they were discriminated against. The Spirit tells uh, Peter to go without discriminating, and the language also suggests that the Spirit tells Peter, you may object, but go without refusing. Okay? God was pretty adamant, okay? It's not just, ah, there's some in here, go with them. It's don't discriminate and don't refuse this. You must go without refusing. Peter did not argue with the spirit as he did with the vision of the clean and unclean animals. Verses 21 through 23 says, and Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for, What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So, he, Peter, invited them in to be his guests. Now, If you wonder if Peter actually understood what the Holy Spirit was telling him in the vision, the answer is in verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guests. What was unheard of among Jews has just become the norm for Christians. From here on out, through 2,000 years and counting, Christians invite non-believers into their home and in turn... Stay as guests in the homes of the unconverted. We eat with unconverted people. It just so happens Peter received a um, vision from God that said you can eat anything. I'm calling it clean. You can eat with anything, with anybody. Christians and Gentiles will break bread together the distinctions of clean and unclean food having been erased god's chosen people have finally been gathered from every tribe and every nation the church through the spirit speaking to peter will no longer discriminate but will go out to all people without refusing because remember of course that when when uh, christianity started And the church was in Jerusalem. It was completely comprised of Jewish believers. It was considered a sect of Judaism. I pointed out in the past that Christians met in the synagogues until 105 AD. And the reason they stopped meeting in synagogues was because they were kicked out for being troublemakers with the Romans. Okay, The Jews didn't want to be persecuted anymore, so they kicked the Christians out of the synagogues until then really Christianity was considered part of Judaism, a, a sect as it were of Judaism. The church would no longer discriminate but go out to all people without without refusing, as the Holy Spirit said to Peter. what a Jew would never do, invite a Gentile into his house as a guest, Peter, as a Christian, unhesitatingly does. Uh, Scripture shows no hesitation at all on Peter's part. Peter says, um, he says, what's the reason for your coming? And they said, a centurion by the name of Cornelius sent us. So he invited them in to be his guests. There's There's no hemming or hawing. There's no thinking about it. So he invited them in to be his guests. In the next few weeks, we'll see Peter do other things a Jew would never do. Enter the house of a Gentile, sit down to eat with a Gentile in that Gentile's home, something that went against everything a religious Jew had ever been taught in their life. Do not discriminate, the Holy Spirit told Peter. There was to be no longer any separation between men or between nations. So, back to the question of the week, which is still on the table. Does God still speak in visions in this day and age? And a second question is, uh, would be um, if you don't think that God speaks in visions, are you not limiting the way God works in people's lives? Be clear. The normal way God speaks to us is through His Word, through Scripture. Correct? That's why we pay so much attention to it. But is it the only way God speaks to us? Would any Christian ever say that God doesn't lay things on their hearts? Really? Does God never lay anything on your heart? Do you sometimes feel a gentle... Guiding hand, probably sometimes, probably not sometimes, but often, do you sometimes feel that god 's hitting you with a hammer, trying to get you to do something I go back in my uh, my mind, you know I talked about why am I buying glue? Why am I thinking about buying machines and it 's not as small purchase I'm talking about spending you know almost six thousand dollars on tools and I'm seventy and so just this week after I talked to you I went out because I was about to start some work and about twenty minutes later I came back in to Aaron and I said Aaron I just found out why I'm thinking about buying equipment. Why I bought high glue. Because I went out into my driveway, and there was a guy camped out there waiting for me okay it 's a guy I fired a client I fired okay most people don 't fire their clients i 'm known for firing clients, you know uh, saying i won 't work for you again don 't darken my door, go away and this was one of those fellows that I did that for, uh, two, uh, not four. maybe it was doing it for him. Maybe my not working for him was doing it for him but it was somebody that I decided I would never work for again and let him know it. That is in my driveway. I had not seen him in eight years. And, and he says, Mike, I know it's been eight years. And he says, I, I, I understand what's gone on before. And he said, uh, but, but understand this. I only own homes that you've done the interiors on. So, he said, every day I walk on floors that you made. And every day I use cabinets that you made. And every day I walk through doors that you made. And not just one house, but two houses. He bought one that I'd already done for a client. And then he had me remodel a guest home that he had built for when he had his guests. Up. He said, I'm finally getting around after eight years to building that house you designed for me. Okay, I'm waiting to see if I get the money on that. But, <laughs> And he says, I need you to do the interiors of this new house. And I said, you don't need me to do the interiors on this new house. He said, no. He said, Mike, I really, I really need you to do the interior on this house. Would you please do this for me? So we're, okay, that's minor Okay? But remember me telling you about Aaron, had something put on her heart before we had children, and did the research when she saw it, and went into depth, and got the names of doctors, okay? And had me read all this material. Before we ever had any children, we were experts on Down syndrome. Okay? Because what was laid on Aaron's heart was a doctor who was treating children with Down syndrome. And so we knew everything about this seven years before Lauren was born. Okay? And when Lauren was born... We both knew the doctor's name who was treating Down syndrome, but he was in Michigan, and he was making a lot of money doing it, and he was very good at what he was doing, and we could not afford it, okay? We could not afford to get the treatment for Lauren, because it was thousands of dollars a year. And uh, by the time Lauren was one, we read about another doctor in California who had worked with this doctor and who... Comparatively, was giving the treatment away for free. So before Lauren was even born, God had laid on Aaron's heart to study about Down syndrome, and we knew nobody with Down syndrome. We had no children. I had never seen somebody with Down syndrome because this was back in the days when they weren't mainstreamed into society. Uh, we were, as a matter of fact, when Lawrence Borden uh, uh, suggested that we institutionalize her immediately, at birth. You know, just... So anyway, God talks to us today not just in Scripture, but in nudges, in notions, in in feelings he guides us in ways we won't recognize until after the fact until something happens and we look back and see his guiding hand on us and that's what i'm trying to get through with these little anecdotes today was god guiding us yeah and i could i could really Freak you out because God has given me two prophecies in my life, and He spoke to me. I'll share that, but uh, uh, and they both came true. So I'm not a false prophet. But the thing is, is that He speaks to us mainly in Scripture. But have you felt that call on your heart have you Have you been tugged in one direction or another? Do you think that that is not God working? quietly in your life, I think you would be wrong. Here's the other thing. I'm, I'm ending with this scripture right here, which Robin already shared in the uh, uh, last psalm that we did today. Because the King David, and I would not doubt that this is looking back on his life and looking forward to coming forward is looking at his life and the way God works, and he says he says here he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. has david known want i 'm sure he has has god supplied his needs i 'm sure he has He makes me lie down in green pastures. David often had a rock for a bed, but he 's looking to back to what god has done he 's looking forward to what God is going to do. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And did David walk through the shadow, uh, valley of the shadow of death? He was a warrior. Did he, did he go up against Goliath as a lad trusting in God and not armament? Yes. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I believe he was looking back at his life. And then he was trusting forward what God would do with him. And so felt Abraham and Jacob and Daniel and Samuel and and Peter and Paul. And so should we, because God's provision for us is a gentle guiding hand. It's always upon us, even when we can't feel it, and even when we don't recognize it. But someday later on in your life, you'll look back and you'll say, I see what God was doing. Let's pray. And Lord, we don't know what you're doing all the time. And yet we can look back and say, thank you. We can say thank you for the preservation you've done for us. Thank you for the good things you've given us. Thank you for the, the path you're leading us down. Even sometimes when we don't see how it, how it can possibly come out good. We do know that your word says it All things work together for good for those who know the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We don't always see the goodness. We don't always see what you're accomplishing in our lives. When you gave me Lauren, we didn't see what the good would be in that. And yet I think everybody sees it nowadays. We don't see until after the fact looking back at the blessings you have given us. We thank you for those blessings and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.